Tony today has exceeded all our expectations, if I can speak on behalf of all peoples. Uh, really, it really has for me personally. It's been helpful, clarifying. Uh, I, I don't think we think enough about technology or uh, even how we use our, our eyes and minds uh, for the glory of God. So this has been very clarifying, very helpful. For me, it's opening new areas. I know it's been convicting. People are looking really guilty when they look at their phones. Uh, so that's been, that's been helpful as well. Uh, so now we get an opportunity to take some time together to just uh, sort of process this. Mm -hmm. And people sent in lots of good questions and some lesser good questions. <laughs> and, but all good, all good questions. Uh, so I want to work through some of these and just in a conversational format, try to talk about how to apply these things. And, and both your messages today were, were clarifying, and I think they set us up really well. He also did a good job of not spoiling book content. So there's still lots to read uh, in his works and even in the, the Spectacles book. So I really think you set us up well. Uh, let's start here. Our tendency... I think pastoring college students in, in this context is towards maybe extremism. Something that's, I think you called it earlier today, escapism. Uh, you know, we think that to honor Christ would look more Amish, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I think you said throw it in the, in the lake or the yep. ocean. Yep. And that's certainly a, a tendency, especially... Uh, I'm sure for students who have some guilt with, with how they've used their phone for evil, uh, either in a relational ways or in things that they looked at that were lurid or, or displeasing to Christ or, or even in just an ordinary, you know, time-wasting kind of paradigm. So help us think first off about how removing our phones from us or removing technology from us one isn't really an option, but but how it doesn't actually help us either. Yeah. Um, so the bigger conversation here would be to to set it theologically is the question over when does the Church of God leave the cities of man? So this is one of the big theological questions that we we read about in the Bible. When does the the Church of God leave the cities of man? And you can see. Uh, God's tumultuous relationship with human cities from Genesis to Revelation is an amazing story. It would take a long time to sort of flesh out. But that's ultimately the question that we're all faced with. When do we leave the city? When do we leave L.A.? When do we leave Phoenix for me? When do we leave the city? The Amish have said, we're out. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a statement of technology. They're saying we are separating ourselves from um, the technologies of man. And if your conscience leads you to that place... You might need to take that step and, and leave the city and leave the, the devices and leave the technology of, of the city. Um, I think it's theologically premature to do that based on what I see in Revelation 18.4 uh, in the sense that it's not as if you have to leave the city before you get trapped in the city and can't get out. No, in Revelation 18.4, the angel comes and speaks to, to Babylon and says, my people come out from her. And so the church leaves the city of man. And so... There's all sorts of variations of that question, and there's all sorts of implications when it comes to devices and technology, but that's the theological question you should ask. When is it time for me to leave the city of man? 
Um, and so the Amish and the Mennonites have made a statement and said, we, we're out already. And I think that's premature, but your conscience may lead you there. Um, and uh, I, would, I, would, uh, I, I have a lot of respect for the Amish and, and the, their tech mentalism. And I talk about them in the book. Um, but I think that's a future reality, that we have not yet been called out of the city of man. We, we are here to leaven the city by our worship and by our hope. And I think that's what Revelation 2 and 3 in the seven letters gives us a picture of what it looks like to be uh, Christians in Babylon. <laughs> that's who we are. You know? And you get all these other philosophies like the, uh, the Benedict option, which is like be in the city, but kind of act like you're not in the city. You know? And it's kind of like this in-between place that I think it, it doesn't really work. I don't think it answers all the questions, but that's the question on the table. When do we leave the city? And so your devices, yeah, you could do away with devices and be done with the devices and technology and walk away and join the Amish and the Mennonites, and I think your conscience could be free and clear to do that. But if you're not, if you're going to be in the city, you're here to leaven the city. And we see this all throughout Scripture. God has his people in a city to leaven and to protect that, that, that city from judgment. You know, 40 or 35 or, or 30 or 25 or 20 righteous in a city will stay God's hand of wrath on that city, right? So we are leaven in the city. We are here resisting the idolatrous tendencies of the city by our worship and by our hope. And so there's a place for us in the city, and that has everything to do with technology. Um, so that's kind of the bigger, the higher level theological question that you have to ask is when, when do I leave the city? So we're not, I don't think anyone here is going to go horse-driven. <laughs> um, but I respect that you respect that they can do yes. that in yes. good conscience. So um, if we're thinking about not the abandonment, but the engagement, if we're thinking about engaging uh, and, and seeing, maybe changing the way we, we look at our technology, and even having that posture of gratitude for it that you just talked about, that there is, you know, obvious black and white issues. You know, you can't sin in your technology, in your interaction with people, in the, the things that you consume. And so there are things that, that need to be hard lines mm -hmm. for, for believers. Uh, and I think we know what those things are. How do you approach a reset on looking at, at that element of our lives, mm -hmm. you know, more, less in, in the massive scale of, of tech, more in just the personal use for our own spiritual health. Yeah, that's good. So again, it goes back to the city. I just want to make one more point on the city, and that is when you read Revelation 2 and 3, and you see that there's idolatrous tendencies and bias within the city that you live in, and you need to be aware of that and live wisely in light of that, you can apply that exact same principle to whatever social media platform you choose. Every social media platform has inherent biases and idolatrous tendencies that push you to do certain things. Uh, in texting, you're more likely to gossip. On Instagram, you're more likely to show more of your body than you should. On Facebook, you're more likely to fall into fringe thinking. On Twitter, you're more likely to fall into trying to be witty and be really funny online and quick. Because that's what, that's what the, the, the platforms celebrate, right? And so there's idolatrous tendencies and biases within each of those platforms that you have to be aware of. Um, but there's, there's sort of four layers to thinking through ethics on this, on this point. And one is realizing that each of the platform, each technology, has certain biases built into it 
That's inevitable. There's no such thing as a neutral technology. Um, and I, I, even saying technology is neutral doesn't really get us very far when you start pressing into the ethics. But every technology has certain biases within it that push you to use it in a certain direction. That's true of the hammer. If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? It's got a bias that's pushing you towards that, and that's the same with all of our technologies. So we have to deal with that. The second level is, is really critical, and that is we have to deal with our own hearts. What is it we are susceptible to? Why is it that we use those, those devices and those, those apps for those certain sinful uh, means? So we have to deal with that in our own heart. And that's what 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You and Competing Spectacles. That's what I'm dealing with the heart issues, my own heart issues, and showing you, like, what does it look like for a Christian to deal with uh, his own sinful use of technology? Because once you can do that, then you move into this third level, which is gratitude. And you start to see like, okay, I have a smartphone for a reason because God wants me to love him with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. And I can use a smartphone to do that. I can do online ministry to do that. And so now there's a, there's a gratitude piece in there where I'm thankful for the technology that leads into the stewardship factor. God has given me electricity. He's given me a computer. He's given me a smartphone, an iPad. Now what do I do with it? Because once you get into that fourth stage, now you can envision uh, what it is your technologies are there for and what you can use them for. And that's going to inform future, your future parenting. That's going to inform how you uh, use and adopt technologies and which ones you don't need because you now have a purpose of, of what is it that God has called me to, to love him above all else and to love my neighbor as myself and what technologies then are useful for that. You might need a house. You might need a car. You might need, you know, you'll need electricity for that. You'll need those gifts that God has given you for a stewardship purpose. So it's see the idolatrous tendencies of the technologies, acknowledge that, and then deal with your own heart. Like, where are you most susceptible? And then see the gratitude for the gifts and then the stewardship of what God is calling you to use those gifts for. And I think the church oftentimes gets stuck at that first level. Um, you know, if you've seen the Netflix uh, documentary, um, I can't think of it now, um, The Social Network, if you've seen that, it's like, you know, the algorithm made me do it. You know, Mark Zuckerberg made me do it. The app made me do it. Well, that's, yeah, there's, there's, there's biases built into those technologies, yes. But that's not the end of the story. You can't just pin the blame on the algorithm. Um, you have to move in those three other stages. So I think we oftentimes get stuck in that first one, kind of externalize the evil. Like, oh, if I just didn't have a smartphone, I wouldn't be a sinner. If I didn't have that app, I wouldn't be a sinner. It's like, no, that's not that simple. So deal with the, <clears throat> see the bias, see your own sinful inclinations, gratitude for the technology, and then stewardship on mission with it. And I think that's what's so helpful about your engagement with this media ecology stuff is that you're showing that there's, there's an underneath heart issue. So go and, yep. and get a horse, you still have your same heart. Yep. Uh, you know, delete apps off your phone, your heart still has these same tendencies. And so what you presented to us in the session just now goes beyond just the, the prohibitions that Christians need to have in place, but to the cultivation of gratitude, and the display of virtue rather than vice in the use of, of technology and in our lives. So what are some immediate ways that, that you can think of? Uh, one of the students is asking about how do I glorify God with my phone? You know, how do I, 
How do I, how do I use this for, for right, for evangelism? What, what are the immediate ways that you see these, these virtue, ability to be virtuous in the use of, of technology? Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that we, we can uh, share online. I've been in uh, online ministry now for 14 years, I think, and so there's a lot of ways to do this. Typically, it's not by viewing the social media platform directly as like, how can I use this? But how can I use my gifts and then capture that and spread it through social media? So if you're a you know, spoken word artist, if you're a painting artist, if you're a, you know, I mean, it's like all, all types of art forms can be communicated through uh, social media. And so it's like your natural gifting is what God has called you to do. You can use those. You can use those to, to glorify him. So it could be outright evangelism, and you're just going after people, and you're sharing the gospel explicitly on, on Instagram. That's great. Maybe more subtle art forms, um, any kind of music, painting, poetry. Like, there's so many different ways. Don't think of social media as, like, doing social media, but think of it as a communication channel for your gifts that you're using to, to bless others. So I wouldn't put too much weight on, like, what is the actual platform? What am I doing on the platform? Think of it more as a pass-through channel for what God has gifted you to do. And it could be, I mean, I, I know gaming evangelists who play, you know, six hours of Halo and just meet up with strangers, and they're, they're able to communicate the gospel through those sessions. It's amazing. I've heard the testimonies of, of how God uses them. I was like, what? Tell me that again. They, you know, people getting saved through the, the gaming channels, you know? Do you know so, who else could blow you up? <laughs> <laughs> so there's all sorts of opportunities because digital channels are just the way that we connect with other people. And now, now you may evaluate and say, like, I can do more good doing uh, face-to-face evangelism with my friends, and I don't need to be online. And you could be more effective that way. So I wouldn't put so much stock in what you can do in social media and yeah. at the expense of what you can do in person-to-person evangelism because that, that would be really powerful in building those relationships. Talk about the danger of, of that duplicity, though, because... There are people who are very different in their electronic person than in their yeah. real life person. And, and that's a concern is, is developing this, this sort of digital hypocrisy, which I think is real hypocrisy, yeah. uh, with, with how you engage with people online rather than in real life. Yeah. How, do, how do you help us think more integritous about Your online self is going to have to die just like your offline self has to die, and you have to turn it into a service. And so you're not out to score points. You're not out to win arguments. You're out to win hearts. You're out to win people to Christ. And so that's going to change the tone. It's going to change how you do things online. Um, And and serving online is way more work than I think a lot of people think. It's not just about putting out some memes and getting, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, likes. It's about coming up with a, like a, uh, a vision for how am I going to use this channel to evangelize or to share the gospel or share about the greatness of God or to celebrate natural revelation. You can do that through art. What is it you're trying to do? How are you going to do that? When you start to come up with those sort of, uh, th- that vision statement for what, we, what you want to do online, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to commit to it. You're going to have to do it. Um, even when you're not getting the likes, you're going to have to have a vision that's uh, that's that's going to be hard. And so I, I don't think you can just sort of like bluster your way through um, social media evangelism. You're going to have to die to self, and you're going to have to really truly serve and work to love others because that's what ministry is. 
It's hard. It should be hard. And so if social media is real easy, you might not be doing it right. You know, you need to die to self, die to your online self, and uh, not care about the, the approval you're getting online, but go after hearts and try to build relationships. And, and uh, so it's, it's going to be self-sacrifice. That's helpful. The, there's a few questions that came in about the cutting edge of technology. One uh, person wrote, with new technology coming fast, is it okay to be unsettled and maybe a little fearful of how advanced and how impactful this new technology will be in the world? Uh, another kind of similar question, more specific, how should we as believers approach the inevitable coming of the metaverse? The metaverse. So I think, I think the the most helpful thing there would be for you to help us, how do we evaluate something new? Whether that's the metaverse, which isn't completely new or foreign to us, uh, or whatever it is on the horizon. How can we think biblically, uh, theologically, wisely about new opportunities, new technology that, that we face? I think one of, the, one of the big things I'm trying to do right now is to encourage young Christians to go into those fields. We need Christians in the metaverse. We need Christians at Apple, at Tesla. We need Christians in the, that space who can uh, help influence those industries for good and also you know, speak from those industries and say, what's bad? What, what should we watch out for? So I'm not going to have all the answers for that, but I'm trying to encourage Christ, young Christians into the tech space because we need them in there. Um, as far as the metaverse, it is, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a privatized surveillance state, basically, is how it's going to start. And uh, it's, that's scary, you know, uh, because these social platforms want to track our lives and what we do and our behaviors in, in a, the metaverse kind of a space. They'd be able to track everything, um, everything that we do in that space. Um, and there's also, you know, there's not laws that govern what, ha what's hap what happens in the metaverse. So you really see the lurid side of people come out. Um, because you can't be arrested for doing something in the metaverse necessarily, and so like when heart the heart is not restrained, what do you see? It's gonna there's gonna be an evil there that's gonna be pretty sad. But as far as technology more broadly, there's always a you know we develop technology, it gets uh, developed, it gets adopted, and then we adapt it. That's always true. We're always adapting technologies. So you shouldn't look at a technology and just say should we have it or should we exit out. Um, but uh, more of the 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 thought that I use is, okay, we've adopted the smartphone. Now we're adapting to the smartphone. We're adapting it to, uh, to profit our lives. Namely, we're trying to figure out how to constrain the limits of what we do with our phone, right? Down to the things that really bless our family, our ministries, and keep us in touch with people we need to. And so that's always going to be the case in technology. We're always trying to adapt and adopt. So we adopt and then we adapt. So we're always trying to find what is it that's most useful with this tech. Um, Freon gas, lead paint. I mean, there's a whole history of this. Uh, uh, food, food additives that are you know, cancer-causing. Uh, you just go down the line. Historically, we've just adopted things too quickly, and we had to adapt things and change things, and that's always going to be the case. That's one of the curses of the original sin, is Adam and Eve said, we're going to make our own ethical decisions. We don't need God telling us what to do. We're going to make the decision on what good and evil is. Once you make that decision, your ethics is always like five steps behind what you're making. And so that's the, that's the nature of what it live, means to live in a cursed, fallen, sinful world is our ethics will never keep up with the technology. It never will. And the technologies and the science itself won't ever ask the question, 
should we do this, and what's it good for, and what's the value? It's just going to continue to you know, propagate new technologies that we then, on the back end, <laughs> have to discern what's the best use of, uh, of those technologies. So it's pretty complex, but our, our ethics is never going to keep up pace with uh, technological engineering. It never will. So for an, let, let's go with a, a Christian who is thinking about their future. These, a lot of these students go to great school and they are sought after. Uh, a, few, a few questions came that sound like this. How do we be faithful Christians if we end up working for some of these companies, Facebook, Netflix, et cetera, that are designing the competing spectacles? Uh, what biblical responsibilities, another question, are most applicable for those of us who work in tech? Is it do no evil? Uh, and then others who are film majors say, you know, all, all this content that mm -hmm. we have to watch to, to be in that field. So let, let's think about their professional lives or, or their future professional lives as they consider yeah. opportunities for uh, vocation, a, a calling from God yeah. in using their skills, their education, their ability uh, help, help them approach this brave new world, understanding the ethics are steps behind, but, but they can still live with discernment, yes. and they need to think of how they'll, how they'll serve God and their employer in a way that will honor God. Yep. So fundamentally, it begins by acknowledging, for now, I'm going to live in the cities of man as one of God's chosen people. Um, and that in and of itself brings all sorts of tensions about what it means to live in a sinful world, fallen world, a fallen city with its own idolatrous tendencies and biases. That's just what it means to live in a city. <laughs> Whether you work in the metaverse or you don't work in the metaverse, if you live in a city, same struggle, same exact struggle. Um, I've got a friend in gaming right now who uh, is, he works on a high-profile game, and they're trying to push uh, LGB um, uh, characters now into the, into the space. And he's now at a place where he has to decide if he's going to continue to work uh, at that gaming platform, if he's going to walk away. And that's a, that's a question that Christians are going to face. Like, when does it come to a point where I can no longer ethically work in this, this scenario? Um, and so God forbid that that would be uh, predominantly the case in these, these platforms, but it will be a, a reality that will be faced. Um, <clears throat> until that happens, I want as many Christians inside of these spaces as possible to influence for good these industries. And so there's not really an easy takeaway. It's not an easy answer. Um, film is a hard one, especially. Um, you got to pray. <laughs> pray and uh, pray that God gives you the faith to make changes for good, and when you realize you can't make the changes for good that you would like to, to move on. And part of that is developing that tender conscience that yep. we all need to have, yep. that God will honor when you are, are filling your mind with truth and with Scripture and, and then operating in a way that, that has that you know, first desire That's to be right. on and want to honor the Lord, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. So, and, and you know, I, I think... The more a person is disconnected from their church, mm -hmm. from you know a pastor that can help coach them through this. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you have a pastor, um, you know, like Tony, who could talk about technology. Unfortunately, you have a pastor like me who you know can sometimes turn my phone on right. But either way, a knowledge of God's word and God's ways, there's not a requisite understanding of you know. The, the, the deep 
biological, technological advancements that yep. is going to be beyond what God has given us in his word. That's right. That's right. Nothing's going to catch him by surprise, and nothing... Um, yeah, there's no ethical situation that we cannot face with God's word, with his spirit. And so you're, whether you're dealing with um, uh, a businessman who's being you know, forced to try and make a uh, questionable call in the, the business's finances, you, know, you don't have to work in tech to face those really hard existential questions about whether you're going to keep your job and, and make concessions or whether you're going to do the right thing and maybe lose your job over it. You know? right. and again, that goes back to that macro category of we, if you live in a city... These are the questions all of us face, yeah. all of us, because we've said we're going to live in the city with all of the idolatrous tendencies and biases, and until God calls us out of them, we're going to be a leavening force here, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to leaven a certain business or a, a tech center as long as possible, and God may call you out of that, yeah. um, but, uh, but it's, not, it's not an altogether different question of whether right. you work in the metaverse or whether you live in LA, that's the same question, same yeah. challenges for believers in both scenarios. Good. Your first talk provoked a good number of questions that have a devotional concern. That was where you took us to, is, is to look yeah. to Jesus, to look at the spectacle of the cross, to fix our eyes on him. Yeah. So a number of questions asked this, what does it mean to look at Jesus or what are some practical ways we can delight more mm -hmm. in the spectacle of Jesus Christ? That's I think those are good question. questions, great and questions. That's, that's where you want them to go. Yeah, that's a so. great question, because we're not angels, right? right. We're not angels who can 24-7, 365 dwell in glory of, of God's presence. Or, somebody once asked uh, Charles Spurgeon, like, how do you pray without ceasing? Yeah, that's a, great, that's a similar question. Like, how do you pray without ceasing? The Bible calls us to pray without ceasing? <laughs> I couldn't do that for an, a day, pray without ceasing. And Spurgeon said, well, what his application was, in between the, the transitions of his day, he would take time to offer up a prayer. So in every transition, he would offer up a 10-second, 20-second prayer. That's what it meant to pray without ceasing for him. And so, so I, I go to that illustration, sort of like, what does it mean to, to focus on Christ? It's just, your mind rivets there. It's like Colossians 3, like, set your mind on things above so that when you have a moment... Your brain sort of like, it, it fixes there for a second, just back to Christ. And it could be uh, memorizing scripture, it could be having uh, devotional time uh, at, at, at work or at school, over the lunch hour, maybe you take 10 minutes just to read a devotional. Um, you can work that into your day. Um, you can listen to the audio Bible. Um, yeah, just sporadically throughout the day. Of course, we have the morning devotion time, so that's time uh, focused on. Uh, reading through the Bible, uh, praying, um, but, uh, but then throughout the day, having those moments and using little prompts. Could be Bible verses, could be audio Bible, could be texting your friend, texting your uh, coworker, somebody you know in, in ministry, uh, through this ministry. You could text them uh, throughout the day. I, I hear people doing it a lot of different ways just to prompt and to be reminded of that, using that pray without ceasing model that Spurgeon modeled. So it's, it's not... We, we are not angels, <laughs> we are not beasts, we are these things called human creatures who are unique, and, uh, but we're not angelic beings that can just focus and rivet on Christ all day long. Um, it just doesn't work that way. And, and part of it is what you've, you've introduced some of us to uh, in today for the first time maybe is the, the distinction between ear and eye yeah. uh, as far as faith goes. 
And it's interesting that, that the, the Bible acknowledges that, you know, and, and uses the metaphor of sight, as you showed us, in, in different places, fix your eyes on Jesus. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously not a reference to physical eyes. Right, it's a metaphor. Uh, it, it's a metaphor of sight, of mm-hmm. spiritual vision. Uh, so the, the interesting word there is that, that word fix, mm-hmm. right? It's a, a steadiness, a, a prolonged gaze. Yep. And in the age of, of distraction and competing for your attention, all the things that, that want to grab your eyes, yep. I, think it's, I think it's a point that needs to be underlined. How can we hold steady that gaze? Mm-hmm. How can we not be pulled to, to not just lesser things or distracting things, but worthless things? Because yep. that seems to be the tendency of our flesh yep. is to look at things that are the exact opposite of looking to Christ, to look to worthless things or, or things that dishonor him. Mm-hmm. So help us fix our eye ears yeah. or the eyes of our hearts in this age, knowing that in the age to come, it will not be a problem. That's our right. eyes will fix yep. automatically on uh, the throne of God and on the Son of God, and, and it will be a, a, an eternally increasing stare. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, good. So help us in the meantime think about that fixing, yep. the steadiness. Well, first of all, this is very encouraging to be in this room with so many of you who wanted to be here to worship Christ today. I mean, first off, if that was your heart orientation, maybe you woke up this morning and you're like, uh, you didn't really feel like coming, but you did. Like, first of all, that's amazing. That's already showing that there's something in you that's like, well, you want more of Christ, more of Christ. And so just the fact that you're here is a super encouragement to me, first of all. Um, yeah, in my, my book on, on literature, I'm glad you brought that up, my book Lit, Lit. It's it is lit, you guys. It is lit. He invented that concept before they had the fire emoji. Oh, Tony yeah. Ranke was that's he right. was lit. I mean, that's big time. They need to I give you credit on Wikipedia did. for that. No, I'm going to take care of that. Will somebody take care of that for me? Actually, a, a, a memoir written by an alcoholic came out two months before mine, titled Lit. Really? Yeah. No joke. That's a different use of the word <laughs> lit. I don't know all the uses, but etymology, I'm, I think it's a different lit. Yeah, don't confuse those books. Um, yeah. In that book on reading, what I, what I set out is, is to show that one of the things I try to do, I read a lot of books, I love to read books. One of the things I try to do is always be reading a book on the atonement or on Christ, on Christ's work, his person, his his words, um, and so that's always been a that's been a discipline for me for probably 15 years now. Uh, I've never gone an extended period of time without reading a book on the atonement or Christ and His cross or His resurrection, glorification, some some aspect of Christ's glory, um, and that's all, that's been true for many years. And I commend that practice. There's many great books on the cross. Um, you can start with John Stott's book on the cross, which is wonderful and just there's a number of different books that you can you can read and and so I, I try to keep up with the, the newest books on the atonement uh not not ones outside of our circles but um just always trying to meditate on what does it mean that christ died for me um and that's that's never far from my reading schedule you usually have a, a yeah. book in my study that i'm reading through slowly about the atonement so um yeah getting offline i mean i've always you know, just put the phone away, close social media, do the digital detox. Maybe you want to read a book about the cross for like a month and just close down social media, make that trade 
that would be a good trade. Yeah. Um, but digital detoxing is, is a significant uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more, the, the digital yep. detox, and get real practical here. I know that you've, you've tried that out in your family, and uh, you know, different levels of, of that exist. Uh, a few questions that are related. Uh, one person said, I deeply relate to going to social media as an escape mm -hmm. from anxiety. What are some practical suggestions against this? Uh, another person, uh, they said their friend was addicted to gaming. We know that that means they're addicted to gaming. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's, that's normal. That's fine. Uh, so, you know, th there's some, some awareness yeah. and, and some need. And you did mention the detox. You've balanced it really, really well reminding us that, you know, that's not going to change what's inside yeah. you and it's not going to replace, you know, the absence of something is not going to be the presence of something. Yeah. So you've helped us with that. Maybe some hints and tips. People love hints and tips. Hints and tips. About detoxing. How have people done that? I'm sure you've gotten a lot of testimonies uh, on, on some practical ways to, to engage or disengage. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, uh, I work online, so I've got to be accessible um, in text and email. But I can, for seasons, delete my, my apps, so I can delete them off of my phone. Sometimes I've done a, a phone detox where I take the, the apps off of my phone, and I just check Twitter and uh, Instagram on my computer. can't post to, to Instagram, but you can check. Uh, and so I've done that for a season where it's accessible. I could go in for a brief period of time, but it's not on my phone. It's not with me all the time. And so getting rid of apps on the phone, if you can do that, get rid of apps on your phone, that'll help. You can grayscale your screen. I don't know if anybody has grayscale. And you can, uh, it's under accessibility. You can actually turn your screen to a grayscale, which makes Instagram less appealing, which is the point. And it also makes those little uh, uh, message bubbles that like red dot with a one or two or three, those just like, you, your eye doesn't even see them. And so if you want to make your phone less appealing, you can do a grayscale. Uh, I've done that for, uh, I, I love doing it. It's just triple click on my iPhone uh, settings. And so that just washes the sort of the compulsive nature of the screen and the reds and the, the colors that are grabbing for you. So you can do that. Um, when it comes to Christian living and growth, what, what we're looking for is not just stopping things that we shouldn't do. We're trying to fill up the void then with the things that satisfy, right? And so if you, if you read a book on Christ and, and it's filling your heart, that we would call that it's an expulsive power, an expulsive power. Something new is coming in. You're seeing Christ's glory in a new way and it's filling your heart. And that's pushing the bad habits out. Okay? So it's not just about stopping the bad habits, it's about what do you fill the void with. And that's where Christ's glory comes into play, because it is probably the only force available to us that has the power to override social media. It is that powerful. Christ's glory is that powerful. You, get, you have to pray for it, you have to plead for it, you have to work for it. But that is a glory that will supersede all the other pleasures of this world. And so the expulsive power of a new affection to use a big, clunky theological term, is, is what we're after. That's why I'm preaching the glory of Christ, because the glory of Christ is the only hope that we have. That's, I said that in my prayer uh, this morning. Like, if, if, if Christ doesn't answer that prayer, if he doesn't become huge in our lives, we have no hope in the digital age. I mean, these things will just suck all of our time. This is the parable of the four soils. 
Right? You get so distracted by the world, you just lose the gospel. So that's not new to the digital age. That's been around forever uh, since Jesus gave us the, four, the parable of the four soils. So, but as far as, I mean, you can find lots of helpful guides online about like uh, digital detoxing in all different ways. What does it look like for families to do this, students to do this, workers who are online to do this. Um, there's a lot of different helpful suggestions you can find online that I won't repeat here for, for time's sake, but um, just keep, keep trying, keep trying things. My wife digital, did a digital detox eight years ago, and she's still offline. She, she closed her Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and never went back, and never regretted it. And just said, I'm done. I'm out. You can do that. Um, so you need to ask yourself the question, why is it that I keep coming back? What is it I'm after? What do I want? Is it feeding me? Is it making me happier? Right? A lot of times we have this like, theory of like, what would happen in the future if we did this or that. Just ask yourself the question. You've been on social media for years. What's it done for you? Right? You, you don't have to like, predict the future. Just ask yourself that honest question. What has social media done for you in the years that you've been on it? Has it been worth it? I mean, do you think anything's really going to change in the years ahead? Just ask that honest question. So much of it, too, is our identity yep. being wrapped up in a version of ourselves online, both in engaging socially, whether this is on social media or just in you know constant texts, hundreds of texts flying all the time. Yep. And that connectivity or the appearance of connectivity and that perception of self and others really does potentially threaten that most essential part of, of who we are, mm -hmm. right, in Christ. So challenge us on the identity, our online identity, and, and that concept of identity that the New Testament is so insistent mm -hmm. on. Yeah, we all want to be approved. We all want to be validated. We all want to be liked. We all want to have validation. All of us do. All of us do. And that's what the gospel's for. That's what Jesus Christ offers. Is in him, we have an eternal validation before God's eyes. A loved child, a beloved child of God in front of him. That's the highest approval you can get. That's the, that's the highest validation you can get. And I think because we lack faith, we don't see just how glorious that is. And so we, we want peer validation. We want to be validated by people online who love what we post. And that's a, that's a, that's a type of validation that just does not deliver. It just does not deliver. And that's why you feel it in the morning when you wake up and you need another, another dopamine hit of that validation. So you're back to social media to try and impress your friends again. And it's just that cycle that goes on and on. And it just does not satisfy. That validation never comes in the end because you're always chasing it. Um, and there again, just dealing honestly with your own heart and what you're seeking is going to uh, answer the, own, the question for yourself that this validation isn't the validation I'm seeking. There's a different validation that comes from being united to Christ and uh, being a child of God with an eternal inheritance. And that is an act of faith. We have to believe that in a way that is powerful. Um, otherwise, it'll just be theological jargon, you know, that we hear at church. 
but it never really makes an impact in the validation that we're seeking. And so we go back to social media. Tony, that is incredibly helpful. Okay, we need to downshift now. We got to come out of the, the, the depths and back to the surface of the earth where humans dwell. Um, so why Red Sox? I knew you were going to Red Sox, actually. Uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Went to the College World Series every year. Saw the best teams. And in 1984, I believe it was, the Texas Longhorns were the and they were the dominant team in college baseball that year. They had uh, baseball players uh, named Calvin Schiraldi, Spike Owen, and Roger Clemens mm -hmm. were the three of their players. There's three star players. And I remember seeing them and applauding them and being a Texas Longhorn fan. Mm -hmm. And then I just followed, their, the, followed the team, and those three guys each were either drafted or eventually went on to play for the Boston Red Sox. Right. And I was like, well, that's my team. Yeah. I wasn't going to be a Kansas City Royal fan in Omaha. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of a free agent. You can kind of pick yeah. your, your team if you grow up in Nebraska because as long as you're a Cornhusker football fan, I mean, that's, yeah. you're good. Then you can pick whatever baseball team you want. So Okay, that's helpful affiliation. You also are affiliated with uh, the, the great Reverend John Piper. Yes. We, we love John Piper up in here. And so people ask me all the time, you know, what's, what's John MacArthur really like? And so I'd like to ask you, what is John Piper really like in texting? In texting. Does he have an emoji? Because I'm willing to disclose John MacArthur's emoji. Does he use emojis at all? No, he does not use emojis. No emojis. No, no, no. Any shorthand. He will use uh, No LOL going no. your way from, no. From, no. from the pipes. No, no. It's full sentences. Full sentences. Grammatically careful. Yep. I got my first selfie from him uh, yesterday. Okay, so wait. That's yeah. important. That's important. So this is what I'm looking for. I sent him a book, and okay. he took a picture of him holding the book. Okay. And he texted me. Selfie Piper. So, selfie. That's the only, Yeah. So we were debating if Noel took the photo, but I think it's a selfie. I think wow. it's a selfie. selfie yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, MacArthur sends the, the guy with glasses, like the little, oh, yeah. like the geeky thing. He sends that a lot <laughs> as, as like his signature. So he, he thinks that guy is him. So he'll often send that. And I think his grandkids kind of taught him how to text. So he's a good texter, but that's, that's his emoji that I will expose on this event today. We have no, um, we have no emojis coming from Pastor John. Okay. He'll use repeated, uh, repeated like exclamation points or question marks. Oh, really? And that's really? when you know he's serious. Wow. Yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. That's good. So see, that you wouldn't have got this stuff if you wouldn't, no. have, if you wouldn't no. have got up today. This is, this is crucial stuff. Uh, Okay, so let's, let's, let's shift, stay on the surface, but shift here. Uh, we're very grateful for your ministry to us today, deeply grateful, and I think the impact of it, God only knows, but it's evident to me and to so many of us how we've been served very well, so thank you for serving us. Uh, how can we pray for your ministry as you've engaged in, in a field that, that to me seems uh, not one that, that is very accessible to most Christians? Uh, th this is something that, that your uh, leading the church in that you're you're providing, I think something a voice that that not others are providing. So, uh, tell us about upcoming ministry for you. What what are you working on? Because 
I think we could at least get a, a couple hundred students to be praying for you and your family you. uh, in coming days and weeks. So what's, what's on the horizon for you? That's, yeah, great question. Um, I don't know what the next, if I'm going to write another tech book, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to be known as the tech guy, but um, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities that have been uh, open for us. We're, we'll be going to Brazil to speak down there in June. I'm praying for that. I've never done an international speaking trip. This will be my first one with you know translation on the stage at the same time and all that. So um, praying that that would go well. Um, and then just wisdom. I, these types of settings make me realize just how much I, I, I need to, to press in and learn more about technology, learn about genetic medicine, and learn about you know all the things that are changing rapidly. And I want to be able to serve on the front lines of the church and those things. And that's just going to require a lot of wisdom, both being in contact with folks in the industry and also just thinking theologically. Like, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times it's been like, I faced a, a question and, and wrestled with it. To God, give me wisdom. How do we think about war technology? You know, and then he leads me to Isaiah 54. And like, how do we think of, you know, uh, agricultural technology? And he leads me to Isaiah 28. And like, there's answers in scripture, but it's, it's, you got to wrestle for them. You got to like ask the hard questions and then really press into scripture. And so I want to keep doing that. Um, but it's just, you know, God has to continue to deliver answers. And so, um, I don't presume that he's going to, but he has to this point. So um, there's that. Um, Ask Pastor John, the podcast, I love it. It's the ministry of a lifetime. I tell Piper that. There's nothing I'll ever do that is more impactful than APJ. He doesn't buy it. He doesn't believe it. I tell him that every time. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I do. (laughs) This is the most significant thing I'll ever do in ministry is Ask Pastor John. 200 million plays now, close to 2,000 episodes. We're in our 10th year, you know, and so just prayer for sustained creativity in that, in that work for however many years we have. He wants to keep doing it. I want to keep doing it. But you don't know how many years Pastor John will have. You know, he's sharp now, but does that mean we have five years, three years? I don't know. Uh, but I know the clock is ticking, and that will be over someday. And so while I, have, I love to write books and I love to speak, um, that really is my baby. That is the, the ministry that I spend 70% of my, my employment on in trying to ask him the right question. So 20 years from now, I'm not kicking myself thinking, why didn't I ask him this? Right. You know. And so it requires a lot of creativity to think forward um, and plan in such a way and not, not cover things we've already covered, help people find those episodes, but then also press into these questions that are going to be really important in the future when he's gone. And we need, you know, we want to hear from him now. So there's a, you know, it's, it feels like a, a prophetic gifting that I need, you know, to see the future. Like, what are the questions that we need to get from him now? So that would be my biggest prayer is just ongoing creativity with the podcast, um, ongoing energy from him and me as we try to figure out what other questions need to be answered. I, yeah, after 1,800 questions, sure. yeah, I thought everything would be resolved, but no, we still get 30 questions a day, yeah. and uh, there's no time to cover them all. So it's wisdom. Like I know people are asking all the right questions that will be asked for decades to come. I need vision to see, see them, capture them, and get them to Pastor John. So just a lot of a lot of grace needed in that in that regard. Thank you for your perseverance in it because it is of great benefit. I know that many of us love those questions and and find those answers extremely helpful and uh, pointing us to to the glory of Christ. Yes. So thank you so much brother for all that you're doing for the kingdom and uh, we'll pray that God will continue to sustain you. Thank you. Uh, there is one more thing. It's just a, a small thing. Uh-oh. Just one second, one thing. Is it over here, Matt? Am I going the right way or is it the other way? 
Okay, I'm good. It's in here. Surprise. <laughs> so I have, a, we have a little present for you because of your love for the Red Sox. Um, I can't give you Red Sox presents because that would be, <laughs> that would be evil um, as a Dodger fan in Los Angeles. But we do have, here, I'll let you open it in front of everyone because that's how you do presents okay. in Los Angeles. It's a, it's a thing. <laughs> so in there, you'll find, I, and I, I understand the Dodgers aren't an odious team to you. You don't no, hate the Dodgers. So that's a, that's a hand, That's a fitted hat, oh, which you have, a, you have a good, yeah, yeah it fits you good. Yeah, it fits there you good. There we go. You live in Phoenix, so this could be good spring training, you know, oh, gear to yeah. wear. And then this, this is something we have in common, a mutual love, a mutual affection for Mookie, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. Now, I didn't have him sign it, but I wrote on the collar of it myself. I signed it. So <laughs> that's, that's our guy, Mookie Betts, a great Red Sox who's now oh, man. belongs where he belongs. Thank so you. you're welcome. You are so welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, can we pray for you? Yes, please. Thank you, Lord, so much for your kindness in bringing your servant to us to uh, open your word for us, to uh, remind us of those things that never change, uh, the need for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to choose greater glory than lesser glory. Help us to wisely um, move forward in this life with all the complexities we face. Help us to see the simplicity of loving Christ and serving him and letting others know uh, the gospel that saved us can save them as well. So thank you for Tony, and bless his family, his upcoming ministry in Brazil, particularly such a tremendous need in the evangelical church there, such a huge opportunity. I pray that you would use that mightily in that nation to bring much glory to your son. And thank you for what we've heard here today. Uh, help it to uh, dig into our hearts and expose idols and uh, refine us in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. So thank you for our dear brother and the, the friend we've made with him today. In Jesus' name, amen.